Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 101 and I'm joined in this episode by the lead academy strength conditioning coach at Leicester City, Michael Cheverton. You might recognise Michael's name because I've also mentioned him in um, some recent uh, podcasts because he's also recently just done a webinar for our online community. So, um, so there's some great stuff in this podcast. So we, we go on to talk about Michael Michael's background and his journey so far. We talk about the webinar. So he gives a little preview about the webinar that he did. And he also expands on some points that he made in the webinar as well in the podcast. We talk about building buy-in and also trust. And Michael goes through some great um, practical ways of developing trust with practitioners, uh, fellow coaches, players. And then we also... We, this is the main point of the podcast, so we go into the strength diagnostics of Academy S&C. So we look into um, how Michael structures his strength program for Academy players and also um, creating a gym culture with the players as well. And then we, we touch on some monitoring and recovery too. And Michael is then also the first person to go through a quick fire round at the end of the podcast. So listen out for that. Um, because that is at the very end. I just fire some quick questions at Michael, um, and I think it went pretty well. So it'd be great to hear your feedback on that one. But I've got a, a quick announcement to make. This has been um, a long time coming, but we've we've now confirmed that we're going to be holding a webinar in association with Physique. So I'm sure many people will have heard of Physique before. Um, they supply loads of physio equipment. Um, they have a great following with in terms of physios and therapists, and we're going to be linking up with Physique to deliver a webinar, which is going to be a discussion with Nick Grantham, so a previous guest on the podcast. Um, we're going to be talking about effective communication, so how to communicate effectively within your role. We're going to be talking about support and delivery, so... Nick's experiences and views on how we can um, become, basically have the most impact on our practice, whether you're working in private practice or whether you're working in team sports or at a club, um, how you can have the greatest impact. And then working in different sporting cultures. So this, this webinar, obviously from our point of view, we're very football based, but this webinar is going to be um, aimed at anyone, anyone working within performance or um, S&C in general or even physio. Um, so this, this is going to cover a wide variety of, of practitioners and we're going to we touch on how to develop culture and some of the things we need to be wary of with that. So I'm really delighted that Nick has agreed to, to do the webinar. We're basically going to open up loads of availability for questions to Nick as well. Um, so I'm going to post the link to sign up to the webinar. It is a free webinar um, and it is on the Wednesday, the 2nd of September and it's at 6 o'clock um, and we've got an hour slot with Nick. So I will post the link in the show notes. So if you're interested in signing up to the webinar, just go on to the show notes and click the link, sign up there and we will be having a great chat with Nick. We're also going to be giving away some books. So we've got some of Nick's Your Hired Books, um, which I'm 
I'm sure if you've heard Nick speak before, you've probably referenced, and if you've not read the book, I do recommend that you read it. So we're going to be giving out some copies of that. Um, so I do recommend that you come and join us. It is a free webinar, Wednesday, the 2nd of September, 6 p.m. I'm going to be having a great chat with Nick, and we're basically going to be running it very similar to like a live podcast. So it'd be great to hear some questions um, and see what you want Nick to answer as well. So go and check that out. In association with Physique, a webinar with Nick Grantham on Wednesday, the 2nd of September. I will leave you to the episode with Michael. Hope you enjoy it. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 101. I'm delighted to be joined today by Michael Cheverton. Michael is the lead academy SNC coach at Leicester. Michael, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me, Pen. Pleasure to be on. First experience of a podcast, so yeah, hopefully it'll go well. I might have to mellow the Scouse accent, but yeah, we'll see how it goes. <laughs> I was trying to think, actually. Have we had a Scouser on yet? I'm not sure. I'm not too so sure, actually. Could be the, the first. first could be the first. There you go. <laughs> ah. No, thanks for coming on, mate. I appreciate it. We've just been talking before we recorded, and you came to our very first networking um, event at the Ainsco in Manchester with Paul Bauer presenting, which was, we can't even work out how long ago it was. It was that long ago. So, um, yeah, appreciate appreciate you coming on. It'd be good to catch up and, and see what you've been up to in, in the time between that then and now. Um, so just take us through your career, mate. Let's go through some education and then your roles or your role that you're currently doing. Yeah, so I started um, back in 2012 over at Loughborough University, uh, studying sport and exercise science degree over there. Um, it was a placement degree. So during my third year, I um, did a full-time internship at Leicester Tigers. Uh, alongside that, I was doing an internship at Northampton Town Football Club and also doing an internship at, at Leicester City. Uh, so quite a busy year that year. Um, returned for the final year. I worked at Leicester City as well um, and then since graduating I've stayed at Leicester City really progressing for fortunate enough to progress through a couple of different roles um, alongside this studied for a Masters at uh, Middlesex University which leads me to, to my current role really um, overseeing the strength and conditioning for the academy under 12s to under 23s mainly working with the under 18s and under 23s at the moment but sort of chipping in uh, where and when needed with the, the younger age groups and, and obviously um, leading in terms of the design of the, the programme for those age groups in relation to the S&C um, programme. Oh, there we go. You'll obviously work closely with um, Kev Paxton, who yeah. was recently on the podcast as well. So how is it working with Kev? Yeah, fantastic. Um you know, learned lots from Kev. He's been a fantastic mentor for me throughout the duration of time I've been at the club. Um, you know, Kev, Kev's a doer, so I think that's probably the, the biggest thing I've learned from Kev. He, he's very much against um, sort of being a, a laptop coach and he likes to get his hands dirty and actually coach players and develop players. So I think that's a great characteristic I've um, hopefully gained from Kev and I influence, it's influenced my practice greatly. Yeah, definitely. And then you've recently done some um, content for us. So you, you've delivered a webinar for our community members. Um, absolutely quality webinar, by the way. It gives a great insight into the work you guys do at Leicester. 
Um, and anyone that's listened to the podcast with Kev, you probably get a decent idea of the work that goes on, but then watching the webinar, you break it down even more. So I really appreciate you doing that. But do you, do you just want to give a either a preview or a review of um, some of the stuff that you covered in the in the webinar? Yeah, no problem. Firstly, thanks for the feedback and giving me the opportunity to do the webinar. Um, it was quite a, a general presentation, really, just talking about our ways of working in terms of our values, then mainly being, you know, we do the, try and do the basics really well in a collaborative manner. We try and encourage a high challenge, high support environment where both athletes and staff are, are, given, are given challenges, but also given high level support to try and um, achieve their goals. And alongside that, I just spoke about how my programming links into the links into the academy philosophy and how that program and also links into a performance backwards approach where we're taking into, can, into account a number of different variables, but probably most important is the philosophy of what a first team football looks like and what and what the coach deems um, deems important for a for a footballer to be in terms of their in terms of their physical makeup. Um, Went a little bit into the details of, of the work we do, which we'll go into the podcast, I'm sure, in terms of the diagnostics work that we do. And also a little bit in terms of more the SAQ, SAQ components, um, finishing with a touch of um, details around a few four processes really on um, recovery and monitoring and additional additional extra work that we do uh, that we do at the club, which again, all, all of this I'm sure will we'll go into and then finally just t- touching on our transition to our new facility and how how, how we've approached going into the, the new facility in terms of our in terms of our gym design so as a, a brief summary but hopefully get a little bit more of a picture with the detail I'm going to go into uh, in the podcast hopefully definitely yeah there, there are some areas that we are going to cover but I wanted to kick us off because I like speaking to coaches about something that comes up time and time again, which is building relationships and also creating buy-in. So Mm -hmm. um, it's always good to speak to coaches on their experiences on creating relationships because I think the longer that you've been in the game, you'll have more experiences, both both positive and negative. Um, Sure. So Mm -hmm. what have been some initial, what are some initial thoughts on you for, First of all, creating relationships with coaches, players, but then that buy-in side, especially with players for for the work that you do. Yeah, it's a great question. Certainly, I'm sort of um, developing day by day, still making mistakes, still instances where I probably haven't had the best approach to building buy-in. Uh, so it's a work in progress. I think first the nose is, I think gone are the days where like a military autocratic approach is going to be the one that's most optimal um forgetting the outcomes that you want yeah there may be certain circumstances where it's necessary but i think i think the approach has got got to be a lot more around this this notion of developing relationships and for me a big part of that is the developing trust and if we look at the trust equation how that looks you know firstly for me it's credibility and it's not just credibility on a a UKSCA accreditation or a, a master's degree. I, I really don't think the players are too concerned much about that. I think it's more in terms of the actual pedigree within the game. So pedigree in terms of in terms of your case study portfolio. So if you're trying to get buy-in from a player, you, you know, if you've got a portfolio, say, okay, I did X, X with this player and this is the outcome that we've got, a player that they can resonate with. Or even on the flip side of it, 
it could be, you know, this player, this player had a negative outcome here um, because they're given this level of advice and 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 the negative outcome was this. So there's, there's two strands showing we had benefit and where someone didn't maybe listen to you and had a negative outcome. So that's your case study, case study portfolio, if you like. And secondly, it's you know, it's credibility in terms of all the lads' respect. You've you've got you've got that knowledge base, both staff, staff and players. First of all, credibility. I think secondly is self-orientation. I think the Roosevelt quote of, you know, um, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. It couldn't be a greater motto in football for me. Um, and how you do that, first of all, you, you've got to respect the athlete. Um, got to respect the athlete. Got to show that you don't just care about them as a, as a football person, but also around around them as a general person themselves that, that, that's really really important and I think my successful experiences is when I've really delved into that side that side of um, the buying if you like in terms of really getting to know him as a person away away from football because I think if you can find those commonalities and the things you've got in common those those are the relationships that seem to bear, bear the best fruit where you've got those commonalities between you but secondly, and uh, like we've just mentioned, like I've just mentioned previously, it's actually you've got you've got that concern to improve him to be the best he can be. And there's times where there's times where people have got their own agendas, their own biases, even their own their own KPIs, where they're, they're solely focused on that. They get blinded from the actual true meaning of actually developing that player. And I think players are clever. Players players know uh, what your mo- what your motive is. So it's having that self orientation towards developing that individual for his best needs. And thirdly is reliability. So it's a consistency of delivery. You know, I'm taking it under 23's reserve team, for example, who've not been selected in the game. You've not got that same level of motivation, same level of enthusiasm. Um, the, the, the players see that. So that's the reliability. That's like a lack of consistency of delivery, which will negatively affect buying for me. And it's... In addition to that, it's reliability in terms of being where you're going to say you be at the time of asking. So if a player asks for additional program, you do it and you turn off your sessions on time. That's the basics. I think finally is intimacy. So that's a trust in terms of the player trusting you that if he gives you information and, you know, within reason, that's kept confidential. And I think those are the four main aspects I look for in terms of developing trust and therefore improving buying with the players. I love that. I think that's a great um, breakdown because a lot of people talk about trust and buying, but I don't think anyone's ever broke it down like that before. Um, I know this, this is probably a really tough question and maybe one that you can't answer, um, but what would you say is the most important out of those four? I would say self-orientation for sure. I think I think once you've got a basic level of knowledge, uh, you know, in terms of improving the players, I think that's all the players value really. They don't want, um, obviously we know they don't want a big scientific nerd. I think what they really, really want to know is that you, that you care about them as both as an athlete and as a person, you, you've got to respect the athlete. So I think first and foremost, that is without doubt the most important. Definitely. It's funny, isn't it? Because I think when you come through your education, you're thinking solely about like credibility, aren't you? In terms of, Mm -hmm. Um, degrees or masters and without and, and obviously you've picked out some great points there the reliability side of it is something that for me like you see you see a lot of people 
and this isn't just in football, just general general life, that that's something that they need to work on, isn't it? Because the fact of being reliable, even the fact of being somewhere on time or um, and time management's a whole different discussion, but these are really important things, aren't they, that can, mm-hmm. that can develop that trust with someone? 100%. And, you know, a lot of the time, a lot of the time, it's not something that you're going to get feedback on from, from a player, but it just goes into the, it goes into the memory bank, right? And like I say, pl- players do remember, do remember the consistency of your delivery and whether you're consistently doing what you're saying, what you're saying you're going to do. And I've had times in the past where you you know, you don't want to work with a group that uh, is not getting selected for games and doesn't really have a future in the club. Where, you know, that's obviously not the right thing to do. But if I'm honest myself, you know, my motivation at times maybe has been lower than it is with the, the lads who've got real good potential. And that's just where the reflection, I'm sure it's a reflection every coach has had, the reflection where you just got to keep your, your egos in check and get that consistency in both your delivery and your reliability. Because ultimately... You know, our first KPI is getting first team, first team footballs, but also secondly, it's getting them into into professional football. If that's mm-hmm. not in first team football, you know, be it be it elsewhere, that that's probably where we take more pride in developing those um, those ones who don't make it to the cream, because the ones who rise to the top probably rise to the top in you know, despite what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so those bottom ones are really ones we got to take pride in. So I think, um, so yeah, went off a bit of a tangent there, but. No, no, I think that's spot on. And the other thing with that is that, and you mentioned it briefly then, is that you're going to deal with players in different uh, situations or scenarios, aren't you, that have been left out of squads. So reverting back to those four key areas and just making sure that you're being, um, that you're sticking with them, regardless of the situation of the player is really important, isn't it? Because you're not always going to deal with players that are motivated, that are happy generally, um, so if mm-hmm. you have all those factors in place and you can revert back to them, that's a really important thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, and I think an important part, a really important part of that is is keeping is keeping the ego in check. Great book to check out is Ego is the Enemy. Uh, fantastic book. And I think the ego is a massive part that comes into this, comes into these four key areas as well. It's def- that's definitely a great point because the, the coaches that are most respected or the top coaches that you think of, they're the ones that are most open, aren't they? And I found that with the podcast, yeah. like reaching out to certain coaches that it's so easy to communicate mm. with but have discussions with um, because their ego is in check. They're, they're willing to openly discuss things yeah. without getting mm. their backs up and, and taking into consideration other people's views, experiences, because um, you can even if even if you don't change your practice or don't change what you do to be able mm. to listen and take into consideration other people is real it's a really important skill I think anyway 100% and ultimately you can learn from everyone you speak to and I think you're right those those are at the top of the game um, if you spoke to them and didn't know who they were you'd probably think they were they were a lot a lot, lot, lot lower down than you probably perceived just to, just to the humbleness and uh, low ego um, attitudes that they have. So yeah, definitely agree. Awesome, mate. So we were, a big part of the podcast we wanted to cover was, um, I'm guessing, a big part of your role, which is the strength training with the academy. Um, so what I wanted to ask to start with is a bit of a broad question before we, we go into a bit more sure. detail. Is um, and this could be the club or this could be your philosophy on strength training with with academy players. 
I think first and foremost, um, I view the I view them as in certainly academy level, um, or as athletes, um, rather than solely specifically footballers. And what I mean by that is, you know, eighty percent of the program is is an LTAD um, uh, form program, and we're essentially we're doing we're doing the basics, basics in terms of the, these players that we're working with in comparison to some of the sports. In relation to the waiting room environment, uh, for example, the, the probably arguably sub elite um, to some other sports in terms of their physical development. So they really just need just need the basic movement skills, the basic movement patterns that every SNC coach will probably know. Listen to this podcast, we won't go through them. I think in terms of the other twenty percent of the twenty cents of the program is you know especially at the at the older age groups, so let's say the under 18s and above. Is the more the more sexy stuff, the individualization work. It's where the strength strength diagnostics comes into play. Um, I think this is this is really really important to have that individual component to the program, which is becoming ever more increasingly prevalent in the game nowadays. You know, staff within within clubs increasing, but not only that, at the highest level, um, staff within. Players is also increasing. So players are having their own entourages of staff. Why did they have that? Because they want that. They want that individual approach. Everyone wants that individual program. So this is where that twenty percent of our program comes into play in, in use of the strength diagnostics. So our main exercises which influence the program is our mid-five pull, count movement jump, and uh, boards and uh, groin bar and ten-five hop tests. And um, firstly, we'll use the mid-five pull and the count movement jump for a dynamic strength index score. Essentially, we're just trying to see whether a player needs to work on more explosive qualities or needs to work more maximal strength or needs to do a little bit of both. No matter where they are, they'll still do a bit of everything. But um, a programme may be directed in more of a certain direction based on based on the scoring. Um, in terms of no boards and, and groin bar, we'll do screening on theirs, looking for asymmetries and just looking for an inherent weakness um, for both the hamstring and uh, abductors and adductors. And we prescribe interventions, but only only if there's numerous red flags available. So, you know, if there's a 15% discrepancy of the NORPOs, we're not going to provide an intervention solely based on that. There's got to be other red flags in terms of, you know, has he had previous hamstring injury or has he reported um, reported some symptoms in terms negative symptoms in terms of hamstrings, for example. So we prescribe interventions and... Um, Based on that, in terms of the groin bar, if there's a discrepancy between adductor and adductor strength, we'll then try and bias the bias the component that needs more that needs more work. For example, um, so for our 10-5 hop testing, um, obviously measure reactive strength. Um, previously, we were only utilising the, the final product score, um, so the combination between the uh, flight time, the contraction time. We felt, probably felt that wasn't giving us enough information to program off, so. Now we look, we'll look more specifically at the flight times and the contraction times, and then we'll put players on a on a quadrant. So you can imagine in the top right quadrant will be those players who've got really good stiffness qualities. They're really quick, and they can um, hop really high. Those are where we do our more sexy shock shock plyometric training. On the conversely, the bottom left hand side is the athletes who are really slow off the floor, got poor got poor jump height. The work we're going to do there is more. It's probably more of a calf capacity issue, low, low level plyometrics. Somewhere in the middle of the other two parts of the quadrant, 
as um, athletes who've got poor um, speed, but they've got good height. So therefore, they need to work on a bit more fast stretch on and cycle work. And on the other side, on the other side, on the bottom right, is athletes who um, have got have got really good speed, really good stretch on and cycle, but, but poor height. So with them, we're probably going to do a little bit more explosive work, uh, tap into the strength speed, speed strength type type work with those players. I just wanted to give a very quick update on our online community. So I do reference Michael's webinar that he did for us for our online community. Um, but if you don't know about our community, we've got an online community available for practitioners. We've got webinars on there as well as some presentations from our networking events that we hold across the UK. So we've now got over, I think there's around about 23 presentations or webinars available on the community to watch on demand. Um, if you are interested in checking them out, you can go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab at the top. If you register there and sign up there, that will give you one month free on the community. So you can have a look at all the content and see what it's all about. After that first month, it is only £4.99 per month going forward and you will continue to get access to all the webinars and presentations that are available right now, but also future webinars and presentations that are going to be going up onto the community very soon as well. So you can go and check out Michael's webinar, which is titled Developing Athletic Qualities of Academy Footballers, but also our latest upload from um, lecturer at Suffolk University, Mark Armitage, and previous coach as well at some big clubs, Arsenal, Southampton, Norwich, Huddersfield Town. Mark Armitage um, has also presented a webinar titled Developing a Field-Based Rehabilitation Philosophy. So you can go and check those webinars out, as well as all the others that are available on the community by going to footballfitfed.com quit the community tab at the top and register there and you will get your one month free. But I will leave you with part two of the podcast with Michael Cheverton. In addition to that, what we're going to introduce this season is more sort of individual um, individual top-up work. So, for example, we'll have 15-minute bite-sized sessions, so it could be okay. A player wants to come in and work on his, on his jump height, so... A 15-minute bite-size session might be um, depth jump, single leg broad jump, jump squat, um, some multi-directional hops, for example. That'll be a program for that. We'll have a program which is geared towards improving um, 1v1 duels. We might have a mid-five pull, pull-off press, um, a rugby bag, shield and drill as an example. And the reason why we've why, why I'm going to incorporate this because I think. My program at the moment needs to have more of a link between what's going on in the gym, what's going on in the gym is on the pitch. So by introducing some football terminology into these bite-sized S&C programs, hopefully the players can start to see a greater transference between the program that they're doing in the gym and onto the pitch. It's only an extra in addition to the work that they do in the gym. It's not, it's not in substitute of that. But yeah, it's going to be a trial period for us this season. Hopefully, we might get some some good buy-in. We're in a bit of a waffle there, so. No, no. Again, it's top information. I was going to ask on because I'm trying to think about what coaches would want to ask on that, and I'm trying to think of coaches that are in um, different clubs that are maybe uh, it's just them. 
maybe they're in control of the whole program. So when you were talking about individualizing programs, because I fully agree that that's what players are seeking more and more now, isn't it? That's why we see those private practitioners coming into the game more because of everything we spoke about, really, relationships, individualization. So that's how Mm -hmm. they see they can get it. So within your role, you've talked about individualizing, and it's something I spoke about in the last episode with Tom and Matt, is that... um, as well as being like flexible. So if you're screening players, say you've got three or four different players and, and their results coming back very, very different, you obviously need to apply different programs to each one. So you need mm. to be flexible with your programming. But at the same time, I'm guessing you, you've systemized that flexibility at the same time. So you're not just plucking things out of the air. You've got an idea on, right, if this player needs this, they, they need this type of a program. Hope I'm, I hope I'm making sense with this, but yeah. I was trying to, I'm trying to think about if coaches are by themselves and they don't sure. have coaches that are there to help them with the programming, what mm. are some ways that you'd recommend it or how have you developed this system for individualizing all the players that you deal with? Uh, I think first and foremost, obviously, technologies, technologies a bit of help because on, the, on this individualization, that, that's what we drive our that's what we're driving our program off. I think if you're a one-man band and you've maybe not got access to that, you know there are lots of good material available in terms of in terms of apps and things like that that can that can assist your programming. Um, look, I think if you've not got the technology available, you, you can obviously you can see a lot just from just from working with the athletes and utilizing traditional um, traditional sort of sets and rep schemes and 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 load analysis to to see where your your athlete needs to needs the programming and from from that side of things more of like a force velocity curve approach to see what he needs to do but i think just talking with your athletes a lot and just seeing what seeing what they need to work on would would have a massive massive impact too so i think if i was a one man band i'd probably go down go down that approach try and utilize more of a um, a little bit more of a player-led, player-led approach, um, player-led approach to the program, and arguably, you know, sometimes you get more information back from that than you than you do with the program. Because we've had instances in the past where we'll feedback testing results to players, and players who just won't won't be having it. They'll be thinking, "Look, this is telling me I'm one of one of the slowest in the ten-five hop or whatever," and. You know, they might be one of the quickest on the pitch. So straight away, you know, you know, football, professional sports, a big ego environment. If 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 they're seeing the bottom of something on the list and they're not buying into it, um, or they're not buying into that figure that you're giving them, subsequently that's probably going to have an impact on the buying that they're going to have towards your programming as well. Whereas at least if you're not got the technology and you're using a bit more of a player-led approach, you're going to be assured that your programming is going to be what they think they need to work on and what you know, what actually they feel like they need, which is which is really important. So I think even though you've not got you've not got all this technology available, you can you can still give individual individual programmings for sure. Because it's gonna be something that I, I certainly think is gonna be become more and more um wanted from players at all different levels, isn't it? That they want this individualized yep. approach. Um, how do you have you seen a you obviously have seen a switch with mentality from players from from wanting this a bit more 
And how easy has it been for you to implement the individualization within your program? I know you've touched on like how you've done it, but has it been easy for you to do or has it added a lot more time onto your day and a lot more workload for yourself? Um, I think in terms of time, restrictions is not being an issue. I think um, the only the only challenge has been in relation to um, sort of weight room weight room management. So, for example, you've got a lot of players working in the in the environment, and you know if, if there's lots of individual work going on, um, that that can be sometimes hard to manage. So, I think the import the importance of player education and actually educating them on the reasons why behind what they're doing will have a will have a ma- massive knock-on effect in terms of when you start your session there's lots of individual work there won't be you know 101 different questions about what what players are doing and whatnot um i think that that's that's first and foremost the challenge has probably been comparison between doing individual work and weight room management always have come that is obviously more player education and then just Grouping the grouping the individual workers as a session of as a session of the program. So if that's in the gym, it might be the first fifteen minutes we're going to do our individual plyometric work, and then the remaining uh, thirty-five minutes, whatever, is your nuts and bolts, your basic stuff, which everyone's doing doing similar programming, or even on the pitch. Um, it differs with different age groups, but um, we'll have our main bulk of our session, and at the end of the session. And we'll have some ILP individual where some may be doing some extra finishing, some may be doing some extra S&C, SAQ type work. So I think first would be education. Secondly, would be just trying to group, just trying to group uh, your sessions a bit more, a bit more cleverly in terms of um, doing all the individual work at a similar, similar time. Yeah, awesome. And we'll we'll move it on now to, um, this is going to, touch into culture and I think it's something you mentioned right at the start of the podcast with like the gym culture within football and it always interests me when you speak to people that aren't in football and that that um, don't know too much about what goes on behind the scenes of what their perception is of levels of players in the gym um, and by that I mean that they think that they're lifting a load of weight and they're optimal at every single lift and they can do absolutely everything. And then when you start working within the game and working with players, you you mentioned it before that you've got, you take some players that are, in terms of a training age, are very, very low. Sure. Um, so creating a gym culture, how do we get players or how have you found the best way of getting players comfortable in the gym environment also thriving in that gym environment as well and understanding that the impact they can have on the pitch? Yeah, so first and foremost, the things we talked about prior in terms of individual approach and building buy-in is obviously massive, so I won't touch too much about that, but I think we've got to understand that um, it's not just about getting them fitter, faster and stronger. A big other component of a big other KPI for us is actually getting them to want to do um, the rest and see work once become a first team player, where the where the autonomy is is obviously greater. Um, some in some environments, and the players will choose whether they want to do gym or not. So, I think what I'm trying to get towards there is obviously we've got our nuts and bolts. That's our eighty percent eighty percent work. We're doing the basics. We're trying to do the basics really well. That's our non-negotiables. 
but there's there, there might be a component of our work that that we do in order to in order to get the buy-in that it may not on a you know on a textbook it may not have the strongest scientific rationale behind it but do the players do the players enjoy it might be a yes um is it getting the players to do a bit of extra work you know that might be a yes too if it's doing that if it's getting them wanting to be in the gym and getting them to be in the gym then for me that you're taking a massive a massive kbi regardless of whether it's got the really strongest um scientific rationale behind it so i give an example so for example i don't know maybe doing some we're saying to a player okay we're going to do some um power work on the walk bike you know um the researchers may 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 slaughter us for that in terms of in terms of the adaptations we're going to get from that and in terms of maybe doing some ladder ladder quick feet drills or we're doing some kaiser kaiser band work you know all these things you know if you defend defending a um you stand defending a master's thesis you might not put some of these exercises i i exercises on there but like I say, if it's something the player enjoys, something the player buys into, then he might buy into that and he also might buy into the, the work that he doesn't like as well. So I think it can be often useful for sort of international players that come through that don't have a traditional um, traditional lifting background where a lot of the work is this, is this maybe, um, I don't know what the term is, but your low loads, um, high velocity high velocity moving patterns. I think everyone knows what I'm trying to refer to here. That doesn't mean we eradicate that completely. We still incorporate a bit of this work if the player buys into that because ultimately I think the big take home I'm trying to say is it's not just about getting them fitter, stronger and faster. If they don't if they don't do the gym work when they're a first team player, then there's a lot of wasted work we've done. Yeah, we've hopefully kept them injury free and they've hopefully got a bit of residual strength and power and fitness gains from the work we've done. But there's going to be a lot of wasted work if they turn around when they're a first team play and they don't do they don't do any SNC at all. All those a lot of those foundations that you built up are just going to be a waste of time. So, you know, the first team environment and then I see him as a first team player and and he's doing lots of walk bike, lots of Kaiser work and lots of additional extra work that may not have the strongest scientific rationale. Uh, but he's doing some extra work, and previously he didn't buy into SNC at all. For me, you know, I'd be I'd be quite happy with that. So, yeah, I think a lot of coaches come to that realization at some point, don't they? As well, that we all have the the ideal program in our heads that we yeah. want to make our players do. But when you yeah. start working with players, you realize that are you better with that player not going, not stepping foot in the gym? And just being like, no, that's not what I do. I, I, don't, I don't do anything like that. Or they're going to come in and do some work that might go a little bit against your philosophy, but they're in there. And then you exactly. can start, yeah. depending on how long you've got them then, you can start to drip feed little things in. It relates me back to the podcast with Nick Grantham, which was nudge the culture along. Yeah, got, That's one thing we have to do, isn't it? We have to just give it that little nudge, whether it's with, with a certain player or whether it's with a squad. It's not mm. always going to be that we can just put this program bang straight onto that player. Yeah. Um, there's a lot more to it, isn't there? Definitely. I think it's it's a fine balance to get because, you know, there's a balance between, okay, we need to get the player to to buy in, but then there's a balance between that and, and your non-negotiables as well. And this comes back to the first point in terms of 
the reliability and credibility of, of players that are looking at you and he's just doing just doing what he did uh, back at his previous club, say, if it's, I don't know, just Kaiser work or upper body weight or whatever, you know, that, that's going to affect other players within the group. So it's mm. really, really important to get that balance between, okay, setting down what are your non-negotiables that no matter what, at Leicester City, our Academy SNC programme, we do this. They are non-negotiables. That's your 80% of your programme. Okay, we've got a little bit of wiggle room with, we can afford to have 10 or so percent where we've got a bit of wiggle room with, I might be shit, that might not be working too well, but you buy into it, you enjoy that, you enjoy that less doing. So it's that fine balance between um, identifying non-negotiables and, and your accessory work of your life. No, I fully agree. I think that's um, a great point. And again, something we spoke about in the last episode was like a pre-season period, which I think this links into quite nicely, is that um, in, I, I asked the lads about the where like long bike rides or army boot camps fit into a pre-season, yeah. are they needed? And they, and, um, they said that not physically, like we can get all our work done out on the pitch, but there might be yeah. other things that it develops. It might develop some teamwork and some psych- psychological tests for players. So yeah. That's another thing we've got to keep in mind, isn't it? It's the big picture. And if yeah. you've got a player within the gym working on something that you didn't really believe in or, or, or um, want them to do too much, but they're in there, they're yeah. in there with the team, they might then see a player doing something that you do believe in and they yeah. might swing them round eventually. So there's so many things we have to consider with that, isn't there? Yeah, 100%. You're completely right. And it's funny you say that, actually, because uh, at the club, our players are fortunate to have two upper body programmes. So they've got one from myself, and um, the lead that's under 23's coach also has got his own press-up, sit-ups, uh, up his programme he has at the end of every pre-season training session. So, yeah, just linking into the sort of bike rides, boot camps, that, that's exactly what he's trying to achieve with that, and it? It's fun. I mean, some players hate it, some players love it, but it's often linked to, you know, punishments in terms of I lost an extra game or whatever. So, um, yeah, I don't mind it. If, if they're getting some joy, joy, they're getting some fun out of it. A few body weight, a few crap body weight press-ups and sit-ups, I'm sure it's not going to do a great deal amount of harm. Yeah. No, and that that goes towards that culture, doesn't it? And then, yeah. as we move forward, that can be something that we can we can all manipulate as as an industry essentially. But the main thing is that making players believe, um, yeah. and, and like you said, it goes back to again everything we talked about before: having that relationship, having that trust, having that buy-in, mm-hmm. um, and that's mm-hmm. all created from these little habits that we do. Hundred percent, mate. I think I think players respect it a lot. If you're strong in your non-negotiables, but then the other aspect, you're a little bit uh, fluid and you're a little bit, um, a little bit more more flexible, more flexible. And I think that really helps with buying and, and players respect that respect that a lot when you got that that little bit of flexibility um, for them um, to have that sort of bit more uh, enjoyment out of their S and C work. And then. Uh, I was going to ask about the other side of, of your role as well, because we've talked a lot about sort of physically how we can mm. impact players and you've touched on loads of great stuff there, how, how yeah. you work with players. But what's the other side of your role that you feel like you can have the, the big impact? I think for me, um, without any doubt, is that the personal development of the players. I think 
you know, a lot of these players spend more time, we spend more time with them than their actual families do. Um, more, probably more than any other department in terms of in terms of departments at the club. And if you take that in consideration, you also can take into consideration the worrying numbers of players who fall out the game. Uh, you know, at a young age, there's such a massive impact we can have on them as as people. And we, I don't know, arguably we probably don't value that enough in terms of the impact we do as SNCs and. Obviously, it's not one we can well, not one we can quantify um, to anyone else. But uh, I think I think we really do, and that's where that's where the you know the education um, the education education for players not only is them as individuals, which is probably going to be a little bit more um, informal, that sort of arm around the shoulder, encouragement, motivation, etc. But also the education in terms of okay. Secondary KPIs preparing them for other demands of um, professional football. So, a lot of education around increasing their toolbox to an environment where they may not have the same level of support. Uh, when we talk about the high challenge, high support in, in the previous element of the podcast, they may not have the same level of support, but they probably still have a really high level of challenge. And, and for whatever reason that may be, so it's actually educating them in terms of giving them that that toolbox both as a person um, but also a toolbox in terms of knowing what they need to do to improve themselves um, physically so that when they go away from this environment you know whether they go to um, a job which doesn't doesn't concern football I think we've we have a massive impact on actually developing developing them as, as human beings so um, I think the magnitude of time we spend with the individuals as well as also developing them fit, stronger, faster, etc. We need to try and have a focus on developing them as as people, which will ultimately like have linked to the first point in terms of buying. That's going to it's all going to have a knock-on effect um, to get an optimal performance outcome. So yeah, yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. I think it's a really important side of what we do, isn't it? And again, ties into the stuff at the start. Like you've got to have that relationship there to have that impact. Mm-hmm. Um, just finally, mate, what I wanted to move on to is, and I know you touched on it a bit in the webinar, um, is monitoring and recovery. And I know you've talked a yeah. little bit already throughout the episode about some of the monitoring and the screening that you guys do. Um, yeah. But if you want to just go into that just to, to wrap this bit up. Yeah. I went to UK State Football Conference earlier in the year and, and Tony Struck was presenting and he, he touched upon a slide of what, you know, the, the first team football is expected to do now. Um, and the profile of that was a players who are expecting to play maybe 50 games a season, uh, remain injury-free throughout that duration. You may have to be expected to play um, every four days over a five-game period. So in terms of a physical profile, that, that's quite a high requirement. And the reason why I mention this is on the, on the majority, if you're going to, if an academy player is going to make it into the first team, the likelihood is it's not the case for everyone, but he's going to have to skip out some of his under-23s development because he'll be, you know, it'll be, it'll be too good. He'll make the step up before he completes the whole under-23 tenure, if that makes sense. Um, so the point I'm trying to make is there's probably a lot of development um, that the player is going to have to skip out. So... When, we, when we're reflecting on our monitoring processes, yeah, we need to have a reflection on 
you know, is his acute chronic workload in the right place for us to remain injury-free, et cetera, et cetera. But we need to also take into, a, into account what's the projection of this player going to be. Because if, if this player's got a really, really good chance to make it as a first-team player, then there might, be, there might be times where we have to nudge into this so-called red zone because there's a lot there's a lot of time that we've got to make up for in terms of in terms of the gap from let's say under 18s football where obviously it's a low in intensity only one game a week and first team football which some players you know, do make that do make that jump there's a large magnitude of development um, that we need to try and make up for so I think the point that I'm trying to make in terms of monitoring is we need to take into account the projection of the player so a player that we know is going to spend probably going to spend the just duration of time in the under 23s. We know that we can probably be a bit, bit more safer on us keeping them in the right um threshold zones, if you like, because we've got that time for that linear development. But conversely, with the athlete that's going to skip and make that jump, do we need to nudge? Do we need to nudge them a little bit more? Um, so that that's more of a reflection I've had, lockdown reflection, if you like, that hopefully try and take into the, to the new season. So it'd just be interesting to see what what your listeners' uh, views points are on that, really. Yeah, great point. And it's something that definitely um, has come up in previous episodes with coaches in a similar role to yourself in a, in a sort of 23s um, or academy role because the, it's that middle ground, isn't it, where you don't really know what players are going to be doing. A player's going to mm. break through. And if they do, then mm. the, the sort of schedule's going to change. Who they work with is going to change. So I think you're dead right with that. Yeah. Mm. Definitely, mate. Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, some players just come out of the blue and, and take the step up from nowhere where you didn't expect. And those are the ones a bit, bit more difficult to plan for. But um, I think on the whole, once they start to get those older age groups, 18s, you've got, a, you've got a good idea of the lads who've got potential and you can start making those projected, not projected plans, but you can start to have that projective thought processes within you within your decision making as opposed to just um preparing them optimally for that given that given season and that given um age group that they're in. Yeah, definitely. Now I wanted to wrap it up. We're gonna try something new and I've told you this before. I'll give you the little heads up. You're gonna be the first yeah. first one to go through this. But we're gonna do a little bit of quick fire. So it doesn't have to be a single answer. You can go into a little bit of detail if you want. Um but I wanted to just ask you a few little questions just to find out about you. Yeah. And, and it does sort of expand on some of the stuff we've already touched on. Um, so we'll see how it goes. But first up, right. biggest influence on your career so far? Um, in terms of mentoring, uh, be my boss, Kevin Paxton, for sure. In terms of uh, research, resources and whatnot, say Mike Boyle. Awesome. For sure, definitely. Two previous guests, so we've done all right there, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, I know. not too bad, eh? Right, next one. Your biggest strength as a coach? Um, I'd say, I'd say for, for me, communication. Uh, helps having a scout's voice. It puts that a little bit, little bit more emphasis on it. But then again, after people can't understand me, but I go communication for me. <laughs> Class. And then this ties in quite nicely with the current time, but... Um, Best or um, most beneficial CPD that you've done recently? Um, I would say I quite like the, the Steve Barrett webinar. 
I think everyone in SNC see what's that. I was, I was really enjoyable actually. A uh, massive variety of, of speakers and whatnot. Some some great individual case studies. And um, I think secondly, trying to use the opportunity, probably not enough, but just to speak to some other practitioners out there in the fields. Because ultimately, I feel that's where that's where I learn best. So yeah, that my two answers. Great point. And then final two. The best trait you look for in a coach or most relatable trait you look for in a coach? Most relatable trait uh, is accountability for me. I think if a coach is accountable, uh, it doesn't matter. It doesn't really matter too much on his sort of textbook textbook knowledge. If he's accountable, he'll learn from that. He'll know he needs to improve on it and he'll improve on it. Um, and then final one. Basically the same question. So um, most relatable trait, but for a player? Okay. I think for me, I think for me, the main thing is, is consistency. And I don't, I don't think it's got really, it's got, a, it's unrealistic to expect a hundred percent level of consistency every single day. But I think the players who are the most successful, are consistent, whatever they do, whatever extras they do, uh, whatever works for them, they do it and they do it consistently and they do it over a period of time and they don't stop doing it consistently trying to get better, consistently trying to get better, even if not killing themselves each day. They're just they're consistent, they're consistent with what they do. I think consistency is the key to success. Class. I think that went all right. First time, first time with some quick fire. I think that was pretty good, mate. I think there's some good good answers in there. So cheers for doing that. No, no worries, mate. When you said quick fire. The, the heart rate definitely definitely rose. So uh, <laughs> no, yeah, I think I think the voice ask. got a bit strong. <laughs> voice got a bit stronger as well. So yeah, uh, enjoyable. Thanks. No quality, mate. No, I really appreciate that, Michael. There's doing some top stuff in there, mate. Um, really good sort of um, expansion on what you did for the webinar for us as well. So thank you for coming on and doing it. Um, just final thing, where's the best place if people want to reach out, they want to get in touch with you, ask questions, where's the best place to do it? Um, probably probably Twitter, um, underscore Cheverton on there. Um, anywhere really, LinkedIn, uh, my emails, uh, michael.cheverton at lcfd.co.uk. Uh, happy for anyone to, to contact me with questions and feedbacks. Um, and whatnot yeah I'm a open book so feel free to get in touch class really appreciate it mate it was great to have you on finally you've been someone that I wanted to get on for a long time so uh, thanks for coming on no I appreciate you having me thanks Ben cheers mate cheers mate bye thanks for listening to episode 101 it was great to have Michael on finally um, some takeaways for me were he mentioned right at the start of the podcast actually the high challenge high support philosophy at Leicester which I think is a, a great philosophy and it sounds like um, it's a great environment to work in as well um, I think the biggest takeaway for me was where we started talking about the trust equation and he broke that down into credibility self-orientation reliability and intimacy um, we've had a lot of people talking on the podcast before about building trust and building buy-in but to break it down like that um, I think was a great way of thinking about it the individual bite-sized sessions that they're going to be introducing into the program at Leicester that Michael discussed as well. 
Um, and we 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 took on that. We touched on the importance of players receiving that individual approach in the modern game with the modern player. Um, personal development, and then also changing the gym culture, which Michael took some some great stuff with that. And um, we had a good discussion about that as well. And um, yeah, that's definitely something that I think is a longer term um, goal across football. But I, I think speaking to a lot of coaches now that things are going in the right direction and the approach um, is sort of taking its toll and we, we are getting there. So it was great to touch on that with Michael as well. But as always, please reach out. Let me know what your takeaways were from the episode. It'd be great to hear from you. You can go and give Michael a follow. He's on Twitter at M underscore and then his his surname. So Cheverton, which is C-H-E-V-E-R-T-O-N. So I'm sure he would appreciate if you got in touch with him, let him know what you thought of the podcast. And if you do have any questions or anything you want to discuss with him, I'm sure he'd be open to have that discussion as well. Um, But just finally, like I mentioned at the very start of the podcast, if you're interested, we are holding our webinar in association with Physique um, on Wednesday, the 2nd of September, 6pm, and that is going to be a discussion with Nick Grantham. We're going to be covering um, building effective communication, support and delivery, and having the biggest impact with your either clients or players, and also working in different sporting cultures. And we're going to be talking through a, a few questions that we've put across to Nick but also opening up for loads of Q&A as well. So if you're interested, it's a free webinar. Just check out the show notes of this podcast and there'll be the link there for you to register and sign up. It'll be great to have you part of the webinar. So go and check it out. That is on Wednesday, the 2nd of September. So not too far away, a week after this podcast is dropping. Um, Go and check it out and it'd be great to have you a part of that. But huge thank you again for listening. As always, please give the show a share and make sure you subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, um, just to make sure you get the latest show. Um, And a huge thank you as well to Michael for coming on the podcast, but also for delivering the webinar that he has for our online community. So go and check that out at footballfitfed.com and click the community tab to register there. But thank you again for listening and I'll speak to you next week on episode 102.